Every Sunday, we gather to make much of Jesus through the preaching of God's Word, worship, and fellowship together. We would love for you to come join us. We have two services, one at 8.30 and one at 11, and Bible study for all ages at 9.45. We hope you will grow in your affection for Jesus with today's message. Thanks for listening. As you're being seated, would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father, it is your name that is the name above all names. And in all your glory and your majesty, your Son humbled himself and he came here to show us your glory, but also to bring us salvation. And our Father, thank you that we know your will is being done. We know that you're working in our hearts and in our lives. And all we have to do is follow the pattern of Jesus and humble ourselves before you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that that work that you're doing will continue every day of our lives. Thank you that this morning in this Thanksgiving season, we can come before you and present here at church or as the message is being live streamed. Wherever we are, our Father, you're there and you are with us. Thank you so much for today. In your son's name, we pray our thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for being present today. Thank you, those of you that are live streaming or are sitting and worshiping together with us. And we'll, for those that will later, will watch this on their computers or TVs. This month, you've been very gracious to let me come and preach these five Sundays for you. You've been very encouraging, and I appreciate that. And there, there is a pattern to what I've been attempting to do, and that is to help us seek God first in our lives, primarily because we need God first in our lives, and second, so that we can be prepared when God brings us a new pastor, we will be the kind of church that's ready for him to lead. And I'm excited about that when it will be. So I've been trying to share some message with, messages with you that help us do that and help us grow as believers. Let's be sh- sure how much we can bless a new pastor by all of us being a congregation who believe in the one true God who knocks down the impossible walls. Has he done any impossible wall knocking in your life lately? He has in mine. We also need to be the kind of church who trusts God's Word, His Holy Word, more than the the whims of modern culture. We should all be actively seeking personal godliness, a closer walk with God so we can make better decisions in the days ahead through a committed walk with Jesus Christ. And we should all, as I shared with you last week, be thankful for our salvation and thankful for one another. And we should be willing to demonstrate that thankfulness. And today, what I hope is the ribbon that goes on the packages. I want to talk to us about how important it is to humble ourselves before God and others. Because it is through our humility and our submission to God's will and His Word that the really great things will happen. And that's not an easy thing for us to do in our society, but we can. In just a few moments, 
After my rest of my introduction, we're going to be looking at a familiar passage in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. But right now, as we're getting ready for that, I want to tell you a story about a man named O.W. Mars. Now, O.W. has gone home to be with the Lord, but I knew him for many years, and I want to tell you something about him that's very remarkable. When he was young, I think he was a rowdy sort of guy. Later in life, he would tell a few stories, and he'd say, that's all I need to say about that. That's in the past. And so he kept some things to himself. But he got married and had young children, and his wife was a dedicated Christian and a member of the Emanuel Baptist Church in Waco. And she wanted so much for O.W. to know the Lord Jesus Christ is his Savior. But he literally was that example of the guy when he saw the preacher coming up the walk, he would head out the back door of the house. He really did do that. And he would get away from that. But they were having a revival. And he didn't know. And one day the evangelist and the preacher decided to go see O.W. And he was not expecting them. He was not looking out the window. And when someone knocked on the door, he went to the door himself and he was trapped. And they came in and sat down and shared the gospel message with O.W. It was a divine appointment. And that day he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he talked with them and he said, what do I do? Do you notice anything familiar if you've been listening to my sermons? I think it happens this way sometimes. A person will say, what do I do next? And said, you, you really should, O.W., come to church tonight with us. He said, I'll be there. What do I need to do? And they told him about making a public profession of faith. And this man was so excited about it. He said, do I have to wait to the end of church? And they said, no. And they did an invitation first. That night, there were two invitations. Isn't, I wish I could have been there. Wasn't even born yet. So I couldn't have been there. But O.W. Mars walked down that aisle and made that profession public. And from that day on, he began to grow and to grow more and more like Christ every day. So by the time I met him, O.W. Mars was a pillar in our church. He was a deacon. He was a teacher. He was part of the glue that held the church together. And by the time I met him, he was retired. He had been a roofing contractor, and he traveled all over central Texas, putting roofs on churches and other buildings. And he led the senior adult ministry in our church. Every year, he would lead the group. And I, when I could, I would go along and drive one of the vans and spend that wonderful time with our senior adults, those old people, of which I am one of them now. And I, we would go to places like Branson or Eureka Springs or San Antonio and different places. There's stories I could tell, but I don't have time for that. And almost every month, we'd do a day trip on a Saturday, load up those vans and go somewhere in central Texas and saw lots of wonderful sights. And one, one time during the spring, he said, I want us to drive over into East Texas and go to the community that has the, the, the state's oldest junior college campus the site for that. And everybody thought, that's history. Let's go. 
And so we went together and we drove and we went to that community and we drove around for half an hour and O.W. kept saying, I know it's here. I know I've been there. I will find it. And we couldn't find it. And he said, I guess it just changed so much. And I said, well, what if we stopped and asked for directions? And he looked at me like, you're butting in, preacher. But he said, I'll do it. And we drove up to a convenience store. And O.W. got out, and he went in, and he was there a few moments, and he came back out, and he had a real funny look on his face. And I said, what's wrong, O.W.? He said, well, we're in the wrong town. Now, that's my joke for the day, but it's not a joke. That happened. I'll share something else with you about O.W. in a few moments, because he is he was such a humble man, and I want you to hear that part. He's just the opposite of a song I heard when I was a young adult. Some of you are old enough, in this group certainly, to recognize it. It was Mac Davis. And he wrote, It's Hard to Be Humble. Anybody know that song? I won't read all of it. Some of it's not appropriate. He says, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking every day. To know me is to love me. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. I seriously doubt that. There's more to the song, but how many of you remember that song? I'm going to ask the same question in the next service. And I figure maybe five people will raise their hand. Okay. All right, the point is humility... Humility will take us forward. Oh, it's not our great talents and all the drive and energy and things we know that are so important. All we need to know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected and as our Lord and Savior. Let's let Him take us where He wants us to be, not where we want to be. This morning I have three things I'm going to share with you. Humility in the life of our Savior, I need, we need to talk about that. Humility in the early church, I have a short story about that I want to share with you. And in humility as a life witness, and that's the application to our lives. But our passage is in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. I just could not leave any of these out for us to read. So would you stand with me in respect for God's Word as we read these verses? Verse 1, Therefore, if there is any... encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Would you be seated, please? I want to tell you something important. Humility is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength. Jesus was not weak, but we just read how humble he was. Why do I say Jesus was not weak? Jesus was able to resist Satan's temptations and won a victory in the wilderness. Jesus fed 5,000 people one day. Jesus could heal the sick with touch or simply the spoken word. He didn't even have to be present for it to happen. He could calm the sea. He could walk on water. He could raise the dead. He was not weak. Our Savior was strong, yet He humbled Himself to become human just like us. He humbled himself to go through those temptations just like we would. When it says he went those 40 days, you know how hungry he was, just like we could be. He humbled himself for that. He humbled himself in the presence of the apostles at the Last Supper and washed their feet. An amazing symbol of that. He humbled himself before his Father in heaven in the Garden of Gethsemane, and submitted himself to the will of the Father. He humbled himself by going to the cross, taking our sins upon him, and dying for those sins, and bringing victory, and being able to say, it is finished, and going to that grave. He humbled himself for all of that, and I'm telling you, it was not weakness. His humility was not weakness, for he chose not to come down off of that cross. He could have called the angels, and he didn't even need the angels. He had that inherent godly power within him to do anything. And he chose to humble himself and die. He is the perfect example for us to look to. And here's the good news. We don't have to die on the cross, but we have to die to self. And we have to trust Him to do that. That's what it has to do in us. So as a church, how do we apply this? Look again in verse 1. It's a call for us as believers to humble ourselves to the point of unity. That we're all going to focus upon Jesus and not ourselves. Not what we want in a new pastor. Not all those kinds of things. Or even what we want in a kind of building on the hilltop. We need to humble ourselves before God and say, what do you want? And that's what we must do. We have to be that kind of people. Paul was writing and encouraging them because of their faith. And he's calling them to make his joy complete by being God's people and treating one another the right way through unity and humility and love for one another. You know, he had already said earlier in that book, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, and other books, that he was praying for them. Every time he thought about them, he prayed for them with joy in his hearts. And he said, now, I want you to make my joy complete by being together. 
So First Baptist Church, Belton, let's be together and faithfully pray for the men who will come and lead us in the future. Let's faithfully pray every day that God will mold us and shape us into the people we ought to be before he gets here so he can hit the floor running and we can head forward into the future and there will be no lag time. What do we need to be unified in? He says here the same mind. That's that spiritual mind focused on God. The very same love, he says here. That's the love of Christ at work in us. United in spirit, that's the one leadership of the Holy Spirit that only He can bring to pull us together. One purpose, one purpose, and we heard about that from the Coxes this morning. We are to be the light to the entire world. That's our purpose, and we can do our part by shining our light here and helping send the missionaries around the world. That means that we treat each other other with kindness. We speak to each other with love and kindness in a peaceable manner. Do you do that? Are you one of those people that others like to see coming? You know what I'm talking about? Are you one of those that sometimes just before you get there, somehow they drift off somewhere else? Be the person that someone wants to see come and say, oh good, I'm going to get a word of encouragement. I'm going to be lifted up before God today through this conversation. Or do they see someone who's coming with a complaint? You see what I'm saying? We need to be the kind of people that that are different from the society around us. Our society is rude. We see that in entertainment. We see that in the news. We see that in politics. And I'm going to ask, where is the kindness? Where is the gentleness? Even at those times that we need to correct someone else. I think in the church we should be a better example of humility and kindness in everything we do. For they won't believe us out there until we show them a better way. And we do it consistently. That's what this is all about. Jesus is our example. He came self-sacrificing And that's a call to us. How can we do it? Verse 3 tells us. We do it without selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Considering everyone else is more important than ourselves. Jesus, I believe, I believe that Jesus considered me and each one of you individually important enough that I think he would have come and died on the cross if just for you. But he did it for all of us. And that's good news. So many people in the world at that time thought to be humble was to be weak. But it wasn't. To be humble was the only right way to be the right person before God. We should look for those good qualities in others and point them in the right direction. You see, there are two enemies of Christian unity. One of those is selfishness. A self-serving attitude, what I want. And the other is empty conceit. The thing is, it's hard to be a humble person. We don't need any of that. We don't need to... Now, I'm not saying that we should feel like we're a doormat. Or that we should have no self-respect. Absolutely, if you have self-respect, you're going to hold your head high because you're a child of God. And you're going to be strong because you're a child of God. We just don't have to force that upon others. We need to see the needs of others as more important than our own needs. 
He says in verse 4, don't just look out for your interests, but for the interests of others. The bottom line is you and I need to be humble toward those who are weaker than we are. See their value and lift them up. We need to be humble people. And it's hard to be humble people sometimes because we all know how we are. Our pride gets involved. Can I, now I'm going to finish my story about O.W. Mars. As I said, he was the director of our senior adult ministry at our church and all these trips. Now, this was long enough ago that not everybody had one of these. Most of the time we went on a trip, and it, they didn't look like this either, by the way. There was no big screen and touch and all that. Sometimes on those trips, I was the only one with a cell phone. And the reason I had a cell phone was I had to always be in touch if an emergency came up somewhere. So the only way our two vans could communicate with one another was using CB radios. You know, the thing that the truckers did. Can you remember that? Some of you can. All right, so we communicated back and forth with those CB radios. We had to stay within a certain distance of one another to make sure we could do it. Well, one of the CB radios went out, and O.W. Mars decided it was time to go get a new one. And he went to the store, and he carefully picked out what he wanted, and it was perfect. It had enough power and a good antenna, and he went to check out. And of all things, they rejected his personal check. They rejected it. He said, I'm sorry, when we put this through the file, it said we can't take it. And he said, I'll have you know that account is good. And he knew it was because he had lots of money in that account. But no matter what happened, the person checking him out said, it just keeps saying it won't take it. Is there another form of payment you can make? Well, it made him angry because he knew it was good. And so he said, well, keep your radio. And he left. And he went home and he called the bank and there was an electronic glitch going on and and they had it fixed by the time he called them. And he sat at home and he thought, wow, that poor guy checking me out, it wasn't his fault. He was just doing his job and I chewed him out. And you know what O.W. Mars did? Can you guess? That man humbled himself, went back to that store, found that checker, and apologized in person. Could you bring yourself to do that? I'd have to think about it. But O.W. did. That's what Jesus did. He didn't do anything wrong, but he humbled himself to do what was best for us. Look at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, to love us and serve us despite his divine nature, despite his place in heaven, despite his part of creation, despite him being one with the Father. And what was it? Verse 6, despite all that being his, that he was God, he didn't. He didn't insist that his equality with the Father while he was on earth had to be held in check. He was willing to submit that, to be human, so he could save our souls. We are here today in this place as his children because of his humility that took him to that cross. Because he didn't have to hang on to anything for himself. 
He didn't have to hang on to the glory and the praise. He didn't have to. He knew it was in his heart. He knew who he was. He knew that he existed before anything else existed. Colossians 1.17 says that. It says in John 8.58, in Jesus' own words, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. He knew. He didn't have to grasp it and hold on to it. But instead, in verse 7, what did he do? It says he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Like in the likeness of men. He left his home in heaven. And he came here to bring us salvation. And he was as human as we were. He got tired. That's why he would go away to spend time with the Father. There were times he was hungry and times he was thirsty and times that he was sleepy. There was times that he would weep like at the grave of Lazarus. But he was a servant. And he washed the apostles' feet. Verse 8. The ultimate humility says, despite all of this, he became obedient to the point of death on the cross. You know, the cross was cruel punishment. We've all heard sermons about how bad that was, and I'm not going into that. But one of the worst things that he faced that day on the cross in the Jewish mind was anyone that hung on the cross was guilty and condemned to eternity, separated from the Father. They thought, they thought just by him hanging on that cross, there was something wrong with him. And he knew what they thought. And yet he was willing to go to the cross anyway for their benefit. Is that amazing? When your thoughts are wrong, when your attitude's all messed up, he still goes to the cross for you in that sense. He did it. And so what is the result? Verse 9, isn't that beautiful? As a result of what he did, it says, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name above every name. That perfect sacrifice gave him the name of Lord and Savior, of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain and who was resurrected. You see, by humbling himself, his glory increased. By humbling ourselves, God's glory increases. It's our part in that. And what should we do? What should be our response? Look again at verses 10 and 11 if you have your Bibles open. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven already, those, the beings of heaven, those who are on earth and those under the earth in the grave, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's choice. You and I have to choose, just like Jesus did. He chose to follow the Father's will. He chose to humble himself. We need to choose to humble ourselves before God and bow before him and let him be our Lord and Savior. He did that for us, if we will. How are we going to reach the world? How are we going to take that mission money as Christians and get it in all of the world and do it? By being the right example. By being different from the world. 
At first, people will not like us because we're different. It will make them uncomfortable. But eventually that testimony will show up if we will do it. Matthew 20, 28 tells us what we need to do. We're to be like the Son of Man. He did not come to be served. Instead, he came to serve others. He came to give his life as the price for setting many people free, which includes us. Luke 18, 14 says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Just like our Savior, that's what we do, is we humble ourselves. So where does that godliness I preached about a few weeks back come from? (laughs) It's birthplaces in our humility. We can't be godly if we're not humble. We can't be saved if we're not humble and accept the fact that God is greater than we are and he has something we need, and that's the forgiveness of sin. Am I right? I think so. And so it starts there. Well, how did it happen in the early church? This is the second thing I wanted to say to you. This is just a story. I'm not going to read these verses. This is your homework. And you say, but but Randy, am I not doing enough by being here? No. You, You need to have what you get here and take it home with you. So your homework is Acts 18, 24 to 28. It's part of the story of the church growing. It tells us about a guy named Apollos. He was from Alexandria. And he showed up in the area to preach. He showed up to teach. He was a gifted and a powerful teacher. But he didn't know the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What he knew was all of that scholarly stuff he learned back in Alexandria. Alexandria was a city that had at least a million Jews in it at that time. A city of scholars. The Old Testament was studied there in great detail. It was interpreted there. It was discussed there. He was skilled in all the teaching about the Old Testament scriptures. But something was missing in that passage that I just told you to read. It says, He knew nothing but the baptism of John the Baptist. This man was teaching the Old Testament Scriptures. He was teaching up to what John the Baptist was saying. He knew everything, but he didn't know about repentance. He didn't know about the cross. He didn't know about the resurrection. And yet he's here teaching in the churches and to the people. He didn't know the fullness of the Scriptures. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit. He didn't know about Pentecost. By the way, if you come to Sunday school, you get to study Pentecost next Sunday. That's a preview. In other words, he was just much like that scribe who came up to Jesus one day, as recorded in Mark 12, 28 to 34. And he said, what's the greatest commandment of all? And, of course, Jesus said to love God with all your heart and to love others in the same way. And after their discussion, in verse 34, Jesus said to the scribe, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're almost there. You know a lot, but you haven't personalized it. So here is Apollos. He's close, but he's not there. And don't you really want to know what happened? You want to know Paul Harvey's the rest of the story with Apollos? Priscilla and Aquila, humble tent makers who knew Paul. They took Apollos aside and said, let us tell you about Jesus. 
Let us tell you about what he did. Let us tell you about his resurrection. And that day, this gifted scholar humbled himself and trusted in faith the risen Savior. And he went on from there and traveled. He wound up in Ephesus teaching. He wound up in Achaia. And Paul mentions this man because this man was humble enough to listen to others and learn and go forward. Oh, isn't that great? Let me ask you, are you still learning? Are you a Bible scholar and you've read it through time after time? Do you have strong opinions? But do you need to learn more? Do you know all there is to know in the Word of God? Do you know all you need to know? No. Let's learn from one another. You don't have to have big degrees to teach and preach and serve. You need to know Jesus Christ, and you need to be willing to take this Word and open it and study it and be excited about sharing the message. Sometimes we need help from one another. Let's be that kind of church. While we don't have a pastor, let's help one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's uplift one another, which leads me to the final point. And I'm going to be looking at James 4, 6 through 10, and then we'll close this out in just a moment. I want to read you these verses, James 4, 6 to 10. Here's what God wants from you and me in our humility. It says, but he, God, gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's direct. Does that need any explanation? Therefore, God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. I'm sorry, that's right after Thanksgiving. And verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You know what those verses say to me very simply? God's the potter, I'm just the clay. God is the vine. I'm just one of the branches. God is the foundation. I'm just the building. God is the living water. I should come thirsty. God is the bread of life. I should come hungry. God is the Savior, Jesus Christ. I should come and confess and repent and trust Him and humble myself before Him, and then my life can be changed. It's His love that helps us overcome the temptations of the world, pride and greed. God opposes those who are proud because they don't know him and they don't love him. They don't, most of them don't know and don't realize that they don't know him, him. They think that they can manage life without God. And so they become the enemies of God. Let's show them a better way. Let's show them the love of God in treating one another in humility Let's set aside our pride and let's bow before our Father.
Let's not wait until judgment day to bow. Let's do it now. And let's walk with him. Let's follow the example of Moses who bowed before God and followed him and so many others. If we do, in verse 7, he will help us resist temptation if we'll bow before God. In verse 8, if we'll come close to him through confession and trust, we'll find he's right there to help us every moment of our life. Verse 9 is all about conviction. Let him speak to your heart. Let him draw you. Obviously, he convicted Apollos of what he needed to do and changed his life. So what do we need to do? Humble ourselves, empty ourselves of pride, and God will respond. Like I said, Moses bowed before God and worshiped. Isaiah was overcome with his sin in his vision of the temple and bowed before God. John fell at the feet of the Lord when John was going to give him the book of Revelation. All of those things. I think maybe when we think about what it's going to be like when we step before God and we're all in eternity, what's it going to be like when we're there? If we have humbled ourselves and positioned ourselves, well, I think that Mercy Me wrote a song years ago that has really spoken to my heart. Listen to these words of what might happen when we face Jesus in eternity. It says, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Can you imagine what someday it will be like to be in the presence of Jesus Christ personally in eternity? One of the ways it helps us prepare for that is humility, is our humility. Yes, let's keep growing in our knowledge and understanding, but we'll never outgrow God. Society may think it can, but we can't. We cannot. We are here by the grace of God. We're to follow Christ's example of humility. I think we should follow the humility of Apollos. We should let our humility be our life witness in our words, our service, in our worship, in everything we do to prepare. So now I want to share a, a, just a personal testimony with you as we prepare for the time of invitation. It's just coming right now. When I was 10 years old, up in the Texas Panhandle in my home church, Silverton, on a Sunday morning, it was as if Brother Elrod was preaching to me above everybody else. Now, he was preaching to everyone, but that was the morning that the sermon was for me. And I had questions about it, but I was afraid, and I was bashful, and I was proud, and I didn't do a thing. I didn't move. I just sat there because I didn't want to do anything with other people looking. I was bashful. And I talked to my dad, and he and I said, what do you say to the preacher when you go down there to the front? And my dad, in his wisdom, he didn't tell me He put no words in my mouth. He said, Randy, you'll know. And then he explained to me what it means to commit your life to Christ. The next Sunday, the next Sunday I was so excited. I I, I was in church. My family put me. We sat back over on what would be this 
my perspective is right over here. Back a little farther than where, where Tex is. And they put me on the outside aisle so I could be ready that morning. And it was time for the invitation and the pastor had everyone stand. And I froze. I just didn't want to go out in front of everybody. I just didn't want to do that. But I remembered I've been so miserable. Now, I could have, I could have made my commitment at home. I didn't have to do it in church. You can be anywhere. But that morning I was in church and I knew God was speaking to my heart. And I said, I am so tired of doing it my way. I'm going to do it God's way. And I took a step into that aisle. Now, walking down aisles doesn't save anybody, but sometimes taking the step of faith like I took, and I gave my heart to God. And it made all the difference. And that's a sweet story, isn't it? And Don't you have your own of when you gave your life? I hope everyone here has, and everyone that's sitting at their computer or TV has made that decision. But that's not the last of the story. And this is the part I don't talk about much. Ever. Ten years later, when I was almost ten years later, I guess at this at the time, eight years later, I graduated from high school, and my life was before me, and I was excited. And I, I, I was excited, and I had it all planned out, and I knew exactly what I was going to do. I need to preface that by saying, in my life now, I really have been in many mixed, amazing places. Amazing places. I've seen glaciers break off in Glacier Bay. I've seen the geysers of Yellowstone. I've been all over the mountains of New Mexico and Colorado. I've been to Moldova. I've been to China in the Himalayas. I've been on the Great Wall of China. I've been in, I figured up today about 30 of the states in the United States. Lots of places I've been that are really significant places. But I want to tell you that 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 little simple place in a little Texas Panhandle church, that's the greatest place I've ever been because that's where I gave my heart to Christ. But then one day when I was 18, I was again in the mountains of Colorado, and my life was planned out. I knew where I was going. I knew what my career was. I hadn't listened to any advice. I had it set. And one Sunday afternoon, God spoke to my heart, and he said, I'll let you come here. Now I'm going to take you away, and I want you to follow me. I had to humble myself from every hope and dream and personal plan and turn around and go home. I fought it for a year and a half. And finally, at Easter in 1969, I went back to my home church at a time of revival and committed my life to Christian ministry. Hardest thing I've ever done. But God used it and I'm standing before you today. And I would not be preaching these sermons. I would not have shepherd's rest ministry. I would not have met my wonderful wife who has strengthened and supported me, 
had I not humbled myself to what God wanted, not what I wanted. And you see, it's not the significance of a big fancy place. It's where you are when God calls to you to trust. Do you see what I'm saying this morning? We humble ourselves and say, God, I want you today. And then I close it completely with this. A few years ago, because of all this, I was in those mountains in China. And I was with a group of 25 men who had no religious education. And for three days, I got to spend with them and and share with them some basic truths about this word. Because they were all ministers, and they were all trying to know how to guide their little small congregations. And when we were through, when we were through, on the last day, and I was preparing to leave, one of the men came up to me, and through a translator, this is what he said. When I came to this meeting, I was in the wilderness, but now I have tasted the living water. want nothing out of this life as much as you want the living water of Jesus Christ. And the only way, the only way for that to happen in our lives is to humble ourselves, admit our sin, admit our need, humble ourselves and say, God, not my way, but your way. And then let him transform us into good, obedient, humble servants, just like our Lord. Do you need to do that? Do you need to humble yourself before God today and say, God, I've been doing it my way. I'm going to do it your way, and I'm going to humble myself. Will you? If you need to make a decision, it's time. Right now, no delay. Let's stand. Let's sing. First Baptist Belton is relocating. To learn more, to give, and to stay up to date on the progress, visit www.faithfulfuture.net.